Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Mary Harvey, Chief Executive Officer for the Center for Sport and Human Rights. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this CSHR podcast series, where we will be focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. In April of 2020, the Center for Sport and Human Rights reached out to 37 experts across the globe with the hopes of bringing them together to examine the current and possible future impacts of the pandemic on the millions of children around the world who engage in sport. The outcome of the report, titled An Overview of the Sport-Related Impacts of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Children, was published in early June of 2020. In order to continue this discussion, the Center for Sport and Human Rights is proud to present this six-episode podcast series of the same name. During this series, we will look not only to further explore many of the topics of concern raised by the report, but to also help broaden the discussion to include how things have progressed over the months since publication. During the conversation today are two contributing authors, Dr. Daniel Rind, who is a chartered psychologist and a reader in psychology at Loughborough University, and Kirsty Burroughs, founder and managing directors of Sport Rights Solutions, a warm welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mary. Pleasure to be here. Terrific. So if you could both talk uh, through briefly, how did the report begin and why were you both keen to be so involved? Well, I think it really began with a thought from uh, Dorothy Wodzka at the Centre for Sport and Human Rights. When we know the global pandemic uh, hit everybody hard in March. Uh, and, and the thought was, how is this going to impact children, but also how is it going to impact children, uh, the lack of sport and the lack of opportunities that that would, would have. And so it started off with a, a simple email to say, well, let, what are the impacts going to be? And that mushroomed really when we started to look at the evidence and, and share the question. Um, that, that up to 37 experts then all share their, their opinions. And so we wanted to do a, a rapid review so that it was something we could produce that was useful for people in the time when it was when it was needed um but it was amazing how we start off with just one idea about how do we um make children safe when there's no sport and then suddenly people would say what about physical issues what about nutrition what about disability and it just went, went on and on so you'll see the paper covers a real wide range of issues showing how sport interacts with the lives of children um, so yes it was, it was a really fast working and an amazing global collaboration of a project really Absolutely. Well, and, and everything that we're experiencing with COVID and, and to, to another extent, sport, you know, indirectly or directly affects children at some level, eventually. Um, so there, I can see how this would in, engage quite a few different areas. Kirsty, coming to you, you know, as a lead consultant to the IOC on the prevention of harassment and abuse in sport, you know, what interested you in this project? Thanks, Mary. I think it was really, I was actually looking on the resources section of the Center for Sport and Human Rights webpage, and, and you had some fantastic resources looking at the impact of the impact of COVID and sort of examining that. And I was actually thinking about the role of sport as a safe haven. So we know that, for example, harassment and abuse can occur in sport. And that's one of the areas that I, as you said, that I, that I work in and, and Daniel as well, um, the prevention of harassment and abuse in sport and safeguarding children in sport. But it was also recognizing that for some some people, sport can be a safe place. Um, and it was recognizing that, you know, we're seeing increases across the world of calls to domestic violence and helplines. And there's an increased risk of children witnessing or, or being the victims of domestic violence um, throughout the pandemic. 
and you know with stay-at-home policies actually potentially putting children at a higher risk and increasing some of those vulnerabilities and it was actually the sort of well what happens for those children for whom sport was their safe place and now that's been taken away or for those children for whom the sport and education setting was the most maybe a place where um, domestic violence or or, or mal- mistreatment or maltreatment of a child could be picked up where there are um, you know for those organizations that do have systems in place um, what happens then and so it was that sort of idea of well this safe haven having been taken away are we are we looking at what that might be doing and um, the impact that might be having on, on children around the world well exactly um, combined with isolation and a variety of other things uh, that go along with it it's it's having tremendous impact um, so let's let's do a deep dive for a minute um, so let's I want to explore the first area is you know just sort of um, you know, an overview, because there's a whole wide range of issues. Um, and Dr. Ryan, you mentioned this before. So this can go in a variety of different air, uh, impacts uh, in terms of COVID on, on children. So, and you mentioned some of them before. So the growth of esports, um, mental health, physical health impacts. So what was the process by which you as authors, um, you know, determined what areas you should sort of further explore? Yeah, well, we very much began with the idea of saying, well, sport is not, not happening. So therefore, um, the the more obvious immediate risks were that then, as Kirsty said, there's no safe haven. But as we started to look into it, we started to think, well, actually, there's a whole other set of issues where um, because sport is not happening, children are benefiting from that, from physical, psychological well-being, life skill development, etc. So that, that made us realise the absence of sport is also meaning we're losing the benefits. And then, you know, with ongoing discussions, you realised whole new areas would emerge from suddenly massive growth in esports. So how do we make sure that that's a, a safe place and is something people can engage with in a in a way that protects them? What can we learn from um, sport in real life and transfer that good practice onto to esports? Um, and so it was through lots of discussions and lots of correspondence. And then every time we have a draft, somebody else would contribute and say, well, you, you haven't thought about this angle to it. And so it would... Um, expand more and more but I think what what it really served to show was the way in which sport can both enhance children's human rights um, uh, but also be a, be an avenue where they can be jeopardized so it kind of, by, by removing sport we suddenly realized my goodness me what a powerful thing that was and it was only when people could not go outside and do physical activity suddenly everybody across the world was doing PE in their front rooms to videos and they kind of realized the, the benefits of sport so I think it's a time now to to really harness that and, and when we're building back better um, so hopefully and soon a, a post-COVID world we can recognize that value of sport and design it in a way which makes sure that people are, are safe when we go back to normal. Yeah and and you mentioned one area of extreme growth uh, which is esports so it was growing rapidly prior to COVID and then with COVID it's, it's exploded and it's doing so with a lot of unknowns with regard to safeguarding of children. Um, and, you know, very, very developed leagues, coaches, teams, um, and where it's a bit of a black box um, in terms of safeguarding. Kirsty, do you have a point of view on this from, from your work? Yeah, I think it's been a really, really interesting area. And it's one of the areas I really enjoyed working with with the paper as well. And, and I'm really looking forward to as well in the podcast series, because 
there is a, a risk, an increased risk um, with children spending time online, depending on what they're doing online. Of course, it is important. And, and we are seeing that this is a, an area of concern is how do we ensure children are kept safe online? Um, and with the rapid growth of esports, of course, it, it, it will it, it's something to consider the, the, the time that people that children spend online. How do we ensure how does that impact children from their physical and mental well-being? But also, how do we keep them safe online? How do we ensure that safeguards are in place in the digital environment? But there's also so many opportunities through the growth, growth of eSport. And there are so many ways that, for example, with face-to-face -face interaction being so reduced, that we can consider that perhaps there is so many ways within which if we can harness it and ensure the right safeguards in place, that eSport can really provide children with, a, with, a, with an environment through which they can learn other skills, through which they can continue to, to, to communicate and to, and to play. And I think this was the, this idea of, you know, what are the, what are the risks and what are the opportunities and how do we try and, and, and potentially now utilize this time to, to see how can we, as, as Daniel used those words, build back better, but try and ensure that, you know, we see huge exponential increases in, in children's activity online and children's activity with esports. How can we harness that to make sure that they are playing safely online and that they're getting all of the benefits that they can get um, within a safe environment? So, I think, as Daniel said, it, what the, the most incredible thing about this report and what we're really looking forward to in the podcast series, indeed, is the fact that there's so much that with COVID-19 that we realize that we don't know. And with sport, I think it's always been something that's been, um, sports often can be seen as like a secondary thing, sport or something that can be taken for granted. And now that that's been taken away, the multitude of impacts have been so incredible to look at the different, the different impacts that this has been having on children and to really get to explore that more. And I think I'm really excited for the podcast series to be able to go into that in a little bit more detail and, and, and certainly very excited for the session on, on esports, as you say, Mary. Well, and, and that brings us to sort of a, a second area of exploration, which is, you know, we looked at initial impacts on children. Um, and then with the resurgence of the pandemic, it's, it's you know, this <laughs> we're in this for, for several more months, right? Um, and we don't quite know how many, but it's significant. So over time, there's sort of initial impacts on children. And then if you add the time log frame over it, you know, how does that increase or how do those impacts worsen, change, what have you? So I'd like to explore that for a minute from your point of view, you know, because we, we published the paper um, six months ago and a lot has changed since then. So perhaps, uh, Dr. Rind, uh, you first, sort of your thoughts on, on how over time uh, the situation's changed. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And when it first happened and there was talk of, oh, we're going to be in lockdown for 12, 12 weeks, we thought that's uh, an amazing amount of time, but at least it'll be over. And suddenly 12 weeks came and went. And now we're realizing that those initial risks that we highlighted in the paper, uh, even when we wrote it, we didn't realize perhaps this was going to go on for, for many months, even not years to come. And so there's, we know with physical activity that there's a, an important habitual element to it. So if kids don't, aren't accessing sport for that six months period of time, then there's going to be longer term impacts on the psychological, physical health and so on. And will they go back to sport when they can? And will sport be valued? Um, clearly, there's been a global downturn economically. Um, and so from schools having lack of resources, maybe people losing their jobs, um, various councils or regions having less money and sport may be jeopardised. So there's longer term impacts that of the, of the legacy of the, the financial outcome of this will no doubt impact children for um, many years to come. And so 
uh, what's really interesting is that that paper was really our outcome of our discussions, you know, on lots of video calls, but there was a, a real lack of data in the area, particularly in terms of the children's experiences um, and the children's voice. So I'm really interested to see the podcasts that's focusing on that area and how we can best actually speak to children and capture their experiences through this. What is the actual impact on children? How can we monitor that and make sure that we optimise it moving forward? Because a lot of our um, ideas were just hypothetical suggestions because there's such a lack of data in generally on sport and children, even more so when we're looking at how safe they feel and their rights. And obviously nothing really in terms of COVID. So um, I think there are a whole range of longer term impacts, um, but there's evidence needed to really substantiate that and work out what factors mitigate the risks of that so that we can put things in place because um, it looks like it's here to stay. Well, and it's so important that we that we understand. Um, so as this develops over time, um, we're going to know more about the lasting impacts or impacts that perhaps if there is ever a next time could be mitigated. Um, so Kirsty, any thoughts from your side? Yeah, I think it's, again, I agree. It's an excellent question. I think one of the things that we're really seeing at the moment, so as you're saying, there's the, there's the immediate impacts on, on children's psychological well-being, their, 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 their physical well-being, but then it's, you know, how do we try and establish what impact this might have in, in, in the long run when these are crucial ages of development for children, when they're setting their health behaviours? Um, what's what's the longer term impacts? And we won't know that for quite a while. And, and also to pick up on, on some of Daniel's points as well, the role that sport plays now as we move through the pandemic and 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 at some point we start to 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 live alongside the virus or to or to come into this you know we don't like saying the idea of a post-pandemic world because it seems much more likely that we're living alongside the virus and managing it but what role does sport play in increasing society's resilience um, to such crises in the future? I think this is really, really important. Seeing the effect and 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 really, you know, this podcast series, the paper, and hopefully a lot of, a lot of research that will go into looking at the impact that the restriction in sport is having on children and seeing all those multitude of impacts and potentially short-term, medium-term and long-term impacts indeed. Um, what does this mean for the role of sport within society? What does this mean for the role of sport um, related to the UN's uh, Sustainable Development Goals? What does this mean for um, actually how central sport can be in children's health and well-being and how we need to sort of you see to see sport as a tool through which um, we can build back better and the opportunity is here to make sure that um, we, we, we really understand the value that sport plays in, in children's lives. Exactly. No, it's interesting. Um, you think about, you know, major events in history that have happened. And when you talk to adults who experience those events as children, it, it does have lasting impact. I know my parents were, you know, remember what it was like growing up in the depression and they could never ever bring themselves to spend money uh, frivolously. Um, and they carried that throughout their whole life. Um, I remember growing up in California um, where we went through a severe drought for two years and we had mandatory water ration rationing. To this day, I can't waste water. I just can't bring myself to do it. So, you know, how it manifests itself over time is going to be um, interesting, but also we need to be aware of how we can you know, ensure that safeguards are in place to ensure that kids, when they do go back to sport, they were taking into account not only what they've they've missed, but also what they've lost and how it's impacted them. 
Um, just a few concluding thoughts. Um, Daniel and, and Kirsty, thank you so much for taking part in the creation of the paper and also for being our guest today and for providing our listener with an overview of what they can uh, expect in the report and also a better understanding of its importance. It's easy to see by the conversation today how this topic uh, was both of interest to you both and also for how the Center for Sport and Human Rights felt that it deserved further discussion and examination. A sincere thank you in advance from myself and from everyone at the Center to all of the distinguished guests who will be participating and contributing to this upcoming series. To our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed this series kickoff episode and that you will join us as we dive even deeper into these key issues. For more information on the series, please visit the Center for Sport and Human Rights website at sporthumanrights.org and be sure to follow us on Twitter at at sport and rights. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to next time.